0: Can I move this microphone? Okay. Well, first of all, thank you for thoroughly embarrassing me on Zoom. It's just—it's just across the country. That's all. That's fine. That's fine. No, uh, today it is my birthday, and I turned 37. So this is very, very nice. And if you look at my wife, you'll say, "Well, yeah, you must be the older guy." Yeah. All right. Uh, a couple of things. It's been sort of a difficult week for us, believe it or not. Um, we uh, we notice that when we have ministry like this, that the enemy tries to make our lives difficult. He's very successful. It started out with one of the sisters from our chapel having some car trouble, which we were involved in her rescue, and, and then we had a pipe break, because I don't know if you know this, it's mi- it was minus nine back in the Midwest and uh it was of the lord and in this way that janet actually heard this huge bang and within minutes we had a couple of inches of water pooling in our basement and uh that was on what night was that wednesday night right and so we uh we uh, a brother came out and fixed it that evening uh, we spent the night at our uh, relatives home got back into our house thursday and remember today's friday so this is just yesterday and um, then to top it off uh uh, and all of my rush and busyness, I, I actually left one of my suitcases at the airport, which is why i 'm embarrassed to tell you that this is all you got and it 's a gene so i 'm very embarrassed about that so now tonight we have in the audience Mr. Bob Brown, who is a very very dear friend of mine and your lovely wife joanne and and i 'm going to begin this evening by talking about a story that he told me, and uh, i 'll get all the details wrong, so talk to him for the real version but this story he told me several decades ago, Bob. Several decades, and, and uh, it never left me. And I think it's a very good introduction to tonight. It was about T. Ernest Wilson. Remember that? And uh, back in the day, they, we had these elders conferences national. We still do, and you're invited to come if we have it. But I think we will. And, uh, and T. Ernest Wilson was was the you know our uh, missionary to Angola, Angola beloved, and so. And so uh, while he was there, he was older, and while he was there, there was sort of a, a little bit of a debate, if I remember correctly, uh, and it was about, um, uh, you know, sending out these prayer letters and therefore using that as a stealth method to, to solicit support. And uh, the young guys were kind of, ang- you know, getting upset and arguing back and forth and and uh, finally, Mr. Wilson gets up and he says, you know, I, I, I really don't know what you talk about. We don't really have a system. He says, when I was commended to Angola, I, I left with my barrel and my tools, and um, I showed up uh, in Angola. Before I left, I think it was the UK, before I left the UK, a brother gave me two gold sovereigns. And he said, if you ever get in a bad way, I want you to use these to get home. And so when I went to Angola, we were there and the war broke out. And when the war broke out, there was no communication. There was no letters. But all the other missionaries who had mission boards and all that, they actually ate at my table because there was no mail to receive support. And then he said, and the Lord saw us through. Whether there was some system or not, I don't know of any system. All I can tell you is that we prayed, God answered, and that was it. And then, with this room full of people with some tension, he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out the two gold sovereigns and he says, and I still have the two gold sovereigns. I don't care who you are. That sentence chills up your spine, the hair stands up and you start to perspire, right? Because now all of a sudden you're in the presence of someone who had been in the presence of the living God. Now that is a missionary I'd like to speak with. Wouldn't it be great if we could have that conversation today with the late T. Ernest Wilson? We don't have that opportunity. But I tell you, we actually have an opportunity that that is available for everyone. We can talk to another seasoned missionary this evening. Or actually, uh, his documents can speak to us because they're in the Word of God. And the seasoned missionary of whom I speak, he goes by the name Saul, changed to Paul. He was a seasoned missionary, and he was actually in prison. This was actually perhaps his last imprisonment, where he was truly on death row, and he was, he was uh, being uh, uh, kept in holding until his date of execution, which historically was by Nero in the mid-60s A.D. Now, when that was all going down, he writes a couple of letters to his dear young apprentice, if you will, um, uh, Timothy, And the second letter is sort of like the last one of the seasoned missionary. And so I think it would be important for us in this missions conference, the 100th anniversary of CML, 70th of your region here. I think it would be a good opportunity for us to just chat with Paul. Maybe he still has two gold sovereigns too, you know. Now, in order to do this, we're going to look at just a couple of things. And I'll try to be as simple as possible, which is not a reflection on you. It's a reflection on me. I'm reminding myself to keep it simple, stupid, which is not easy for me. But there's things to be remembered. There's models to follow, and there's tasks to accomplish. And these would think of this as if we took the Apostle Paul out for a cup of coffee and we sat at the local Starbucks back in Jerusalem and, and we would just sit down and we'd say, tell us, Paul, what you learned, what you had in mind. Tell us everything. Leave out no details. I, I did that once with Bill McDonald. I said, Bill, if you did it all over again, what would you do? And the next words that came out of his mouth are still in my head today. Well, this is the same scenario with, with, with the Apostle Paul. Now, so we're gonna talk about things remembered, models to follow, and tasks to accomplish. Now, the, the task this evening, the job this evening, is actually to look at things remembered. And, and I, I know you're looking at that outline and you're saying, oh my goodness, there's no way he's gonna get through this in 20 minutes because he wasted five in introduction. And you're right. So we're gonna take my 20 minutes, Tom's 25, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding, Tom, just kidding. But what we're going to do is we're going to cover at least three, all right, at least three. Now, I want you to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, and we're going to look in chapter 1. And I'm going to read some of the text with you this evening, and it'll begin to hopefully develop a skeleton for you. Now, for the sake of time, I'll begin reading in verse 3, and we'll read for about uh, 8 verses or uh, uh, 10 verses or so. And I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands, uh, the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. Share with me, be a fellow sharer in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Do you hear this sort of impassioned plea? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. I'll stop right there for this evening. Now, when I when I'm thinking about this, I, I have three things I want you to remember tonight. And the first thing I want you to remember is is uh, uh, easily contained in the word genuine, authentic, no blemish, the real deal. What, what Paul said, and, and one of the main points I think that he's communicating is a seasoned missionary. He says, now, if there's one thing I want you to remember, Timothy, I need you to be genuine. You see, I saw that in your mother and your grandmother. And by the way, I saw that in you. Notice it says that. When I call to remembrance, verse 5, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in, your gran- or first in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, I'm persuaded, is in you also. Now, Paul said a bunch of other things. He, re- he was thankful. He had a clear conscience. He poured his life into this young apprentice. He says, I remember your heart. It's sensitive. It's tearful. There's some thought there that, that Paul was arrested in front of Timothy and dragged away. And those were the tears that Paul's referring to, which probably really shook this young man, Timothy, based on the language and the tenor of the paragraphs that we just read, that he was undone a little bit. He was, he was not so sure this is what he signed up for. And as a missionary himself, uh, under the tutelage of Paul, he kind of became perhaps reticent. And thus this this seasoned, aged missionary at the end of his earthly life writes and he says, Now listen. I know how we started. I know what's been going on. We've been through a lot together. You're like a son to me. I'm so thankful for you. And I know your heart. It's a very sensitive heart. It's a good heart. And I know one other thing about you. You are genuine in your faith. You're unhypocritical. That's where this word comes from, the idea of being uh, without hypocrisy. And that word is the word that comes from the theater realm where you would hide behind a mask. And, and you would put on the show, as it were, the theatrical performance behind a mask so that your real identity is concealed by the identity of the character, which is seen by the audience. And what he's saying to you, Timothy is, you don't live like that. There's not two Timothys. There's one Timothy, and what you see is what you get, and what you get is Christ in you. Now, I want to raise this, this point just for a moment because... It is within our culture today to really um, expose the discrepancies in someone's life, inconsistencies. And so when you have a a problem at an institution, the first thing that gets examined is your policies. And they want to see if you followed your policies, because if you didn't follow your policies, then you're not being true to your mission. And if you're not true to your mission, you're subject to some type of litigation, or at least in my world of hospital work, that's how it played out. Now, I say that to you because that's actually that motif, that sort of targeting is exactly what's done to the Christian. And what he's saying to you and I, to our day, is this. If there's one thing I want you to remember, you prospective missionaries, you who are looking at the field of God's service, is that there's got to be in you a passion for authentic, authentic, authenticity authenticity, in you, or else there is no testimony of Christ. Now you think about that. Just think about this. In our assembly world alone, I can give you 10 cases of ruptured testimonies of inauthenticity that came to the surface. And let me tell you, that doesn't just happen overnight. That brews over time. How do you suddenly have a life totally exposed to another double life? Did it happen that day? No, it happened by little tiny steps. Steps, just like the Proverbs eight tells you, little tiny steps that happens along the way. Steps towards the the immoral uh, immoral house that take uh, place over time. You see, authenticity is what the world is looking for, and I. I confess to you, I don't think we're showing that. So what are you going to tell a young guy that's in the work in the field who's been beat up and who's been kind of kind of discouraged? Paul comes along like the tyrannist Wilson of old, and he says, you know, I don't know what you're talking about, but I know one thing. The authentic Christian is exactly what is needed in you. Now, I I hesitate to be so forward, but I must, I must. I'm going to ask you to ask yourself this question. Are you an authentic Christian? Now, I'm not God, nor will I pretend to be, nor am I the Holy Spirit, so I won't pretend to be him either. But I tell you something, you have to ask your question before the living God, because I think God is the one who should answer that. And just do what David did. Lord, if there be any wicked way in me, if there's anything, presumptuous sins, uh, deliberate sins, covered up sins, I, I, I ask you to unveil them to me so that I might confess and forsake them. That's what I'm asking you to do. Because if we were to visit with this seasoned missionary, this seems to be the very first thing he has to say to you and I. Now that's a tall order. I've had many a men come to me and say, listen, Steve, I'm pretty sure you should know that I'm I'm perfectly correct in this situation. If you're so correct, would you take the challenge? What do we call that? The ice bucket challenge. And you just say, Lord, I think I'm right here. Would you tell me if I'm wrong? I'll run and hide. You stay there. Right. I mean, that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? If you're so sure, then ask God and the, the God who like sees when you're not looking. Answer your question. This is what we need, authenticity. Many, many of our uh, evangelical leaders in Christianity have this mar, this, this, this black mark against their testimony of Jesus Christ. And the only one that suffers is Christ. So Paul says, I want you to have an authenticity about you. But what's the second thing I, uh, he was going to tell him tonight? I think it's this one. He says, I want you to resuscitate. Now, resuscitate is a word that I am very familiar with. You know, in, in, the, wor- uh, in the world of medicine, uh, emergency medicine, we're supposed to be the experts on resuscitation. That's what we do, right? If you come in not breathing, I'm supposed to help you breathe. If you come in um, near the end of uh, life, I'm supposed to help bring that life, revitalize you back into health. That's my goal. Did you know that out of all, all, the, all the things that we do in medicine to resuscitate somebody in that situation, our success rate is less than 5%. Actually, it's less than 3%. It's dismal. In fact, the only way it, it's very successful is if you have ventricular fibrillation. Don't rem- that'll be on the test, but don't worry about it. Ventricular fibrillation in front of me when the monitor's on you. Well, who wouldn't be able to help you? You're right there, right? Any other situation is, is dismal in terms of the statistics. But what he's saying here is, I need you to think about something, Timothy, and I need you to uh, call to, or excuse me, remind you to stir up the gift of God. Stir up is that resuscitate word. Uh, uh, it, it says which is in you through the laying on of hands. The idea is rekindle. There's an image there in which um, there is the the embers of, of a fire. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I, I love campfires, and, and you know, when you're all standing around there and we're singing our great songs and kumbaya and all that stuff, the fire dies down, and we all get in a little closer, and we're kind of really somber and tearful, and somebody says, well, we need to stoke the fire, and so somebody goes over there, puts a, a nice little dry piece of wood up there, and they kind of go Now, they don't have bad breath, it's not that. It's it's much worse, and what happens is is as they, they stir up the air current, increased oxygen goes over the the flames or the embers, and they then ignite that oxygen, which then ignites the dry piece of wood. That's the word. And this is what he's saying. Now, listen, Timothy, I know you've been through a lot. I saw, I remember your tears. I, I imagine you're a little bit reticent. You're maybe ashamed of me and you're perhaps ashamed of the gospel. And you, you've decided to, to take a step back and coast. You know what coasting is, right? You're still going in the right direction. You look like you're going the right speed, but you're slowing down. That's what coasting is. And he's saying, listen, what I need you to do is I want to, you to, to think again about resuscitating what you've been given. What have you been given? And he says, well, you've been given something very special. Uh, it was through the laying on of hands. And you can see there's a little bit of tracing there through the New Testament uh, that, uh, that there is a predilection of the Spirit of God being imparted in the early church with the laying on of hands. It was, of course, in the establishment and the transitional period of Acts and the establishment of the movement of the gospel. And God used his apostles to therefore show the movement of the Spirit of God into the Gentile world. But Timothy was part of that whole process. Yes but in the same token, there seems to be a measure of some type of spiritual gifting that's imparted. Why would you say that? Because when the Spirit of God is given it says He gives the gifts, First Corinthians 12. So clearly there has to be some measure of gifting. And what is he saying to him? Now, what he's saying is not this idea of how the spirit comes upon a person in that time of history of the church, nor of the gifting. What he's saying is, is the spirit of God and all that he's given you in gifting form does has nothing to do with this idea of, of, of fear, this idea of a shame uh, of being ashamed and this idea of, of pulling back timothy it 's not time to stand down it 's time to stand up, and the way to do that is for you to come to the gift that God has given you and and resuscitate it, spark those embers back into the flaming fire. Now you have to ask yourself well steve how, how do we do that you know i i've been beat up a little bit i've been i've been i've been in this fight long enough and i 've got some some bruises and I've got some diseases and I've got some things that really hurt and they don't go away my spiritual tailbone is is a problematic my spiritual knees hurt and I quite honestly there are some days I don't want to get out of bed spiritually speaking do you ever feel like that well I I have news for you it's part of every Christian's life. It's not just the missionary. Paul, being a missionary, is actually telling Timothy, listen, I know where you're at. You know where I'm writing you from? I'm, I'm in prison. I'm right here in prison. And it, and it, 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 there's nothing pleasant about this prison. There's an indication that he was in the, the most secure area of the prison Roman system at that time. And what he had to say was, Timothy, You can trust the Savior to revitalize who you are. He can reestablish your identity. He can come in and underscore your security. He can, he can come and comfort your aching heart. You've probably seen some souls arrested. You saw me arrested. You know I'm going to my death. And you stand down right now. No, Timothy, you, God didn't give you that, that measure of the Spirit of God. He's totally different. He's the exact opposite of that. He's given you, as it says, says, of power and of love and of sound mind, a sense of discipline a sense of love like the love of God loves, and a sense of strength from the inner man, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, that, that really defies explanation. Do you remember David? All of his, at Ziklag, all of his 600 men, they were aching, their hearts were torn up, their families were gone, they don't know where they are, they don't know if they're safe, and, 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 and they're just, they, they said this in their desperate situation, let's kill them. It's David's fault it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. This is what he's telling you, Timothy, to do. Now, how do I know that? Well, look at the last paragraph that we're, or the last section we're going to look at tonight. He turns him to his savior. Look at verse eight. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of, of the testimony of our Lord. Timothy, you're ashamed? Yeah, it looks like it. And he appears to be ashamed, a little bit shaken of, of Paul himself. Apparently that if you're a, a criminal on death row in the Roman system, if you befriend such a person, you look guilty too. And thus, he says, you need to, you need to counteract that. Share with me in the sufferings of the gospel. And look what he does in verse 9 sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a heavenly calling he's saying he's going to list several things about God and the savior he saved you he called you unto a purpose he gave you an invitation a summons and you are uh, the summons is to a call uh, uh, to a stature of holiness uh, and it's not by what you've done but it's by him notice he says that a uh, holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace So God is the sovereign individual who is working through all of this. And what you're afraid of is that you're probably afraid of death. You're probably afraid of being the prisoner like I am. But I want you to know that you can take hope in this God that has a great and incredible ability about sovereignty that far strips outstrips any conversation about salvation. Did you know that, right? We talk about sovereignty like it's relegated to this little area of Calvinism and Arminianism. And, and you know what? That's, that's not accurate. The sovereignty of God is just riddled in all the pages of the Old Testament. Remember Ruth? Remember Esther? Re, re, remember how Ruth just happened to show up at Boaz, Boaz's field? Do you remember how Mordecai just happened to hear about the plot against the king that day? all that sovereignty, it's just dripping out of the pages. And he's saying, listen, the sovereignty of God has come in and it's dripping in your life and and it's grace and, and you can trust him in that. Listen, what he did, and he chose takes him right to the cross according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began sovereignty. Verse 10, which I didn't read, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior through Jesus Christ. Look at that appearing. Abolished death and brought life. Listen, Timothy, you can find your strength in the Savior. So this is our seasoned missionary. He's coming to the plate of God's, or to the moment of of instruction, and he pulls us aside like we're in that, that tense workers and elders conference, and people are having strong opinions. And he puts his arm around this guy, and he says, you know, all I can tell you is that there are times, Timothy, in which you'll need to really Focus on being authentic. That's what you need to hear as a missionary going out. There are times, Timothy, in which you are going to be down and afraid and your wounds are deep and you don't want to engage in the fight again. And I want you to know that's not the spirit that you've been given. But, oh, Timothy, remember most of all, the Savior. Remember the Savior. Do you remember why we're doing this? Do you remember how he came, called you, abolished death, brought life? He appeared for this to happen. Timothy, it's about the Savior. That's why we're going after it. That's why we're putting our lives on the line. And that's the kind of missionary you can be, Timothy. Remember the Savior. Oh, saints, listen, whether you're online or here, I got to tell you this. Remember the Savior. Because he put it all on the line, didn't he? He 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 laid down his life. Several moments in his history, he was robbed of his dignity. The most impressive one was when he was on the cross and was stripped of his clothing as he hung. As he hung naked before man and God, bearing my sin, so that everyone could see the, uh, so that God could see clearly the handwriting of the document that was against me, nailed to the cross. You see, when you got the Savior in your mind, you, you, there's no limit. There's no limit of what you would want to give Him. So Timothy, go back to your first love. I think that's Paul, what Paul would have told Timothy. Don't you think? I think that's, that's what we need to hear. Let's pray. Our Father, this evening we come before the great person of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is not another person that we would ever want to talk with tonight or talk about. But what we do is we come into his presence, to your presence, O Father. In the name of your Son, we would say, give us your heart, please, O God. Help us to do one thing, to develop the authenticity of the Christian life. Oh Help us to to be transparent with our Christianity. No double life, no hypocrisy. You hate that. You you were so strong against that in the Old Testament. You even told them to quit bringing their offerings because their heart was so far away. Lord, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be in form only. No, we want you to resuscitate us through the work of the Spirit of God so that our, our, our authenticity shines so transparent that they can see you in all your glory. Oh, give us the Savior. Give us the fresh vision of the Savior. Give us that that, that view of him, that look at him. See his eyes, his brow, his back. See this man of Calvary that let nothing stand in the way, exercised his eternal power to redirect mankind so that he would stay at the task of the cross. Oh, give us the Savior, Lord. Give us this risen, resurrected Savior. Show us his glory. This is how it's done, isn't it?